everyone, welcome to another episode of Whiskey, Grits, and Honey. I am being co-hosted with my great friend Kendall. Uh, we met her earlier with a uh, an episode that she did earlier this year, and we are with our friend Catherine, who's also an educator. Um, the three of us have attended a similar conference. It's called Educating Children of Color. So we're going to debrief that and talk about some of the under and misdiagnosis of children of color. So Catherine and Kendall, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for letting me listen in. Uh, This is Kendall. I'm not an educator, but I really love educator shop talk. So I'm just here to be nosy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Catherine, can you give us just a small bio about yourself, um, what you do, your role in education, all that great stuff? (laughs) Sure. So I'm originally from Virginia, not far from Richmond. And we lived there and I went to Bluefield College, it's a university now, and then we lived in Richmond and I taught alternative school in the city. And then I worked for Virginia Commonwealth University as a researcher. And then my husband and I had a chance to move to Colorado. So we came, lived on the front range for seven years and I taught in a variety of settings there um, next to a military base, which was a really cool intersection of education from all over. And then I also became a reading specialist while I got my master's degree um, at University of Colorado, Colorado Springs with educational leadership. And so then our family moved to the Western Slope and I'm now an assistant principal um, and I work for district for emergency things. And so we've just resettled on the Western Slope with my husband and our two kids, two boys, five and three. So it's a busy time figuring out how education meets with my life now. Nice. Yeah, it seems that like our lives revolve around education now, which I still wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> I wouldn't either. It's like the most important job there is. It's like a lifestyle. <laughs> I completely agree. I was just having this conversation the other day how like being a teacher is just like a lifestyle. People are like, oh, that's all you think and talk about. And I'm like, yeah, and I wouldn't yeah. trade it. <laughs> I was like, why don't you? <laughs> right? Like there are openings. Yeah, please. Honestly, subs do something. <laughs> Anything, please. Hello from a substitute. (laughs) Thank you. What what inspires you to get into education? Well, I'm very selfish, Corey. I love learning. And (laughs) the best way to really like learn something is getting to teach it too. And then just that super cliche light bulb moment when kids learn something, it is addictive. And it's addictive when it's that light bulb moment for academics and then for behavior. And then when you get both on the same day, it is just an adrenaline rush. And yep. so, right? I mean, I don't have to explain it to you, you're in this. So it's, it's great. And then I realized I get bored and there's nothing boring about teaching ever. And then just when you think, oh, I totally got this. It's time to change grades, time to change something. Yes. And so it's cool, right? Like you get to like keep learning over and over again. So oh. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, next week, we've got a week full of professional development. So there are going to be tons of like skills and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that I would definitely be learning. So I'm really looking forward to that. So um, could you tell us uh, kind of just like a brief summary of like what uh, ECOC is, uh, what your experience with it was? And um, Kendall, that was the same one that you attended with, correct? It is, yes. Cool. So if you would like to type on too and just uh, your experience with ECOC. I was really lucky. I got to hook her into it. <laughs> we lived on the front range and in Colorado Springs, there's Colorado College right in the center of it. And it's a really just 
aesthetically beautiful school as well as a great resource in the middle of town where people can come for professional development. And so educating children of color is a summit that's annual and it, they have student elements to it that can end up getting connected to scholarships. You can get professional development hours. You can, um, some school districts will reimburse your registration fee or whatever. Um, and it has people from all over the United States come and speak. And it is phenomenal. Obviously with COVID, they went online and, you know, you have to be safe. So <laughs> transition was different, um, but it's pretty incredible. When I worked on the front range, I was really fortunate to work for Harrison School District too. And there's a very high population of students of color and staff of color. And so it was really powerful to get to attend together and figure out, okay, where, where are we not connecting? Where do we need to connect? What do we need to learn here? Um, and so it's, it's really cool because it's um, become really a part of the town. And it's really cool to see people you know from the community. And there are other professionals that go too, judges, lawyers, police officers, it's open. And I think you get to geek out with other people too, which is my favorite. And so Kendall. <laughs> You got to come in too. Yeah, I went to educating children of color. Um, I was able to make the case for it to my boss because I had been using their resources for a couple of years. I wish I could find it on my computer at the moment. But um, just a fun aside, I have learned so much. So in a previous job, I did a lot of group facilitation and leadership development and equity work. And I got the most helpful information and skills from teachers on how to work with groups, how to develop leadership, how to make sure that what you think you're doing is what you're actually doing. And I, I wish I could tell that to everyone who might have a nonprofit job that you should take a classroom management course. Um, it's really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it just, it felt like a shortcut, all the trainings I've been to on facilitation and team building, all I really needed to do was talk to a couple of my teacher friends a couple of times. <laughs> and that gave me more than 50 different trainings combined. So I've been using Catherine's resources. And by that, I mean saying, Catherine, this is what's happening at work. What do I do <laughs> um, for years? And so even though I'm not an educator and I was in Virginia, not Colorado, um, these resources being so helpful, helped me make a case to actually go to this teacher's conference. Um, half of the country away. The thing that I used from educating children of color before I ever went in person was there were these two handouts on how to build a culturally inclusive classroom. And at a former job, we were, we were doing a teen program with um, students that we, we didn't meet before the program started. And it was just a two week summer program and two handouts from this conference gave me again, working with teachers, it's a complete shortcut. It gave me such a shortcut on building relationships and rapport with these teens. And I had seen, it was a program we had adapted and adopted from another organization. And I had seen them run it and seen a lot of cultural, a lot of conflicts that I can see now were cultural. Um, and at the time we're just like, wow, this white facilitator is really about to fight with this black student over earbuds. O okay, this is interesting. And here's Catherine covering her face in amusement. Um, Catherine, I'm sure you've never seen white teachers really drop the ball like this. Um, and so, you know, seeing this teen program in 
another organization's hands. I was, I saw things that I didn't like, and I didn't know how to describe what I was seeing. Catherine went to this educating children of color conference and told me some of the things she'd learned. I went on their website and, and downloaded everything they had available for downloads. And it gave me a way to understand what I had seen and not liked. And it gave me a different place to start from. Um, and I, there were specific things about like, you know, let, let your students bring their own knowledge, their own culture, their own background into the classroom. And they had like specific techniques for that. But I think, you know, overall it's, a being willing to step outside yourself and what you think professional and respect means. So that's a long winded answer. No, I think that was perfect. And it kind of like segues right into the next question, but I love the point that you made about um, like cultural differences in the classroom and the specific example about the earbuds. So um, Catherine, I'm pursuing my EDD. And uh, one of the biggest things I want to study is uh, the school to prison pipeline and just engaging like students of color and like finding alternatives to some of the behavior issues. And the article I just read this week was about how African American girls are often left out of the school and prison pipeline because they focus so much on like African-American boys. So it's hearing their stories and how like little things that are cultural, um, it gets seen as like disrespect or being rude and things like that. So like, yeah, <laughs> perfect segue. Well, so, and it's scary. Like I've been that teacher before that had a problem with whether it be, you know, earbuds or not. I'm like, oh my gosh, how many dumb things have I tripped over because I just didn't even know it's, and it's horrible. And it's also at the same time, that's a really cool thing about being an educator is, you know, better, you do better each time, you know, better, you do better, you know, better, you do better. And then yeah. you get to lean forward into it and say, okay, how are we going to help people get there faster? And so I, it's cool that you're pursuing your degree in this. That is, I'm intimidated, Corey. That's amazing. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's definitely just like building the airplane as I'm going. <laughs> It's like the educational, you know, metaphor for all of us. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what are some of the um, major cultural differences that you see in education? This could be just like in the classroom, learning styles, like all of the above. And Kendall, um, maybe like with substituting or just what you've seen as like volunteering with school systems and stuff, like maybe you can chime in with some of that as well. I mean, there are so many differences. When I taught in Richmond, I was the only white person in the room and there were two white people on staff. And um, it, I learned a lot about how students just getting to know them, the power and getting to know your students. And communication is, and all behavior is communication. So anytime I felt myself pausing, it was like, well, what am I, <laughs> wait a minute, time for reflection. What am I really supposed to be getting out of this? And am I modeling for my kids what I need to see? And so, I realized it was about getting to know the students before I could even see what the differences were and to see what the cultural things were. I wasn't bringing the culture, I was coming into a culture and I needed to kind of shut up and learn about it <laughs> uh, because I am not the culture and that's it's a hard pill to swallow, Corey. You know, I can get very stuck on myself. And so that's, that's a really big one. And for me, language too, like when I taught in the front range, knowing, okay, um, we had a lot of Hispanic families and you're bilingual and some people in your family are, and some people in your family aren't. 
And knowing that you're sitting in my classroom and you're having to translate as I'm teaching you in live time, it may take you five seconds longer to answer, but you are doing at least twice of the workload mentally. And it's exhausting. Uh, Oh my gosh, right? (laughs) I'm tired after reading captions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh goodness, yeah. Right, and so just being aware of that and thinking about how we're showing up with each other. And culture is a cool thing. It's not like this nasty, dirty word. And I think sometimes people can think, oh, there's a culture problem here. No, there's a culture. We just need to figure out what it is and see what we can celebrate in it. I love that. Yeah. 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 So what, it's so interesting to me is like I'm steeped in education. <laughs> it's been the only career I've ever had. And so I wonder, like, Kendall, you're coming into it. Corey, you started, you didn't start in education, did you? No, I'm a career switcher. So I, um, my background's like English communications, uh, journalism. And so um, I did like creative marketing for a bit before that. And then I've also worked like at a bank and some other things. But uh, this is my favorite career thus far. And I don't plan on switching again. <laughs> you say that. <laughs> I know. Well, I'll switch roles. I would love to get into administration. But as far as like the field of education, like you would have to drag me out. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I think the culture is such a piece to that too, because when you have multiple cultures in one building, you get to set the tone as an administrator, I feel, and really is through the teachers that you and staff mm-hmm. that you hire, how are you going to work with the different cultures? And have you set up an area where they're going to clash or where it's going to build on each other? And so sometimes it can be really little things like making sure everything is translated to the languages that are in your building. Like, that's just such a little small deal, but everyone should be able to read what you're putting out. And I agree. so it's, right? Yeah. And so it's really interesting to see how we have all of these different cultures and it's like, all right, how, how are we honoring that? And how are we curious about the professional development you're going to next week? So like, how, how are people getting trained on how to bring that into your classroom, into your school, into your building and how to honor and celebrate it without it being a, oh, we celebrated it and now we're done with it thing? Like a super cool, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was like February, so we're going to do this stuff for Black History Month, but... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we paint all over it again. Yeah. Right, we're only going to talk about, you know, here are the five Black people we talk about every February, and it's absolutely. like, come on, little guys. Yeah, yeah, we've got to get deeper. We've got to get past surface level. I think, I think about the different buckets that there, there's so much to education and equity and group work that I wish I, maybe someone with like a true educator background can put this all into like cohesive sentences. But I just think of the buckets that I've learned over the years, specifically from teachers. And, and it was really helpful when I was in nonprofit community development because power is one of the buckets and you have to, it can be very hard for a white person saying this as a white person, realizing, okay, there's, there's the goal and whatever the goal is, there are actually many ways to get there. And if you're used to being in charge and you're used to defining respect in 
a way that really just reflects your own culture, but other cultures show respect in other ways. Um, then if you're trying to corral people and, and get people to work together towards this goal, if they don't show respect in the way that you're expecting, or they don't take the path that you're expecting, it is so easy to get to get knocked off course and just be focusing so much on the methods instead of the destination. Um, so yeah, power. I, Catherine and I have talked about this a lot. Are you willing to share power along the way to get to the goal? And I have really liked Catherine's different examples over the years of ways that she's found to do that in classrooms. And I have found that the times I've regretted sharing power really came back to, I didn't define the parameters. And so then people, then, then there was, there was no cohesive direction, but I don't know that I've ever regretted sharing power. And I think when Catherine and I have talked about in work contexts the different power struggles that people get in at the end of the day, it is, it always seems to be better to find out in the beginning how to share power because everyone rejects being controlled, whether they're students or peers, um, like other adults. So no one is going to go down without a fight if you were trying to impose your will on them. And that's what I saw with this other teen program. It was a white facilitator, a white female facilitator and a black female student having a all out power struggle that no one was going to come away from winning and it was disrupting the whole program. Right. And yeah. So can you find a way to share power and ah, ah! <laughs> it gives me a lot of feelings that yeah. I can't put into words. I think that expressed it beautifully because that's kind of what teachers are feeling right now. Just like insert shriek here. <laughs> but <Yes>. I think, <laughs> I think it goes back to, like just giving the power back to the teachers like they see the raw data they know the classroom better than like anyone else like why can we not trust teachers to give us the information and the power to like solve these solutions you know oh, that's well, crazy. Wait. Oh, sorry Kendall. as the non-educator let me go ahead and direct the conversation <laughs> <laughs> but Corey, Where are, you, are you you are presupposing that the teacher does know the data and that they do know what's best for their classroom. Corey, have you not yet encountered a teacher that doesn't know the data and doesn't really know their classroom? If we like, if you don't count like year one teachers, which I consider like ground zero, I would say that like 99 like plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just keep them other, in the room. Keep yeah, them safe. Yeah. We a body, like, <laughs> we'll switch out for breaks, but no, I would say <laughs> virtually, like, all teachers know their students. Like, even if you don't, like, even to the teachers that, like, oh, these kids give me so much trouble, like, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so you still know their behavior patterns. You know what triggers them. You know um, that aha moment. You know all those things. But some of my biggest issues are, like, like district folks coming in and like, they'll see one thing and they're like, oh, well, you should have done this. Let me, let me recommend this. Okay. You didn't get the full story, you know? So you came to that one moment, which could have been interpreted as so many other different things, but yet you're stripping the power from the teacher because of that one moment that you misinterpreted, you know? Mm. Ugh, it's 
so frustrating when you're in that teacher role and the people come in and you're like, why couldn't you have been here 10 minutes ago? Yeah. <laughs> this is like very a Friday at three o'clock. Like that's just, <laughs> that's just mean at that point. <laughs> it really is. And I think too, like when we, when I'm afraid to give away power, it's because there's this dissonance between my understanding of what I need the students to learn and do the learner and this perception of power that I get when I don't understand exactly what I need the student to demonstrate with proficiency or output or task or whatever the output is, the more confused I am about what that is, the more I restrict and hold that power. And I like keep it for myself and I get greedy with it. Mm-hmm. And that's gross and that's ugly. It's also real. And so the more we can give away that power and trust to the students, the more they'll pick it up and carry it. But boy, is that a scary thing to do. And you have to know when each student is ready to do it because it's not all at the same time. Wouldn't that be nice? But it's not. I mean, Corey, you know that. It's just, it's not a thing that you can say, okay, everybody's ready now at the same time. Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely like. (laughs) (laughs) It's like driving clutch. (laughs) It really is. And um, I was actually reading another article, um, again, just looking at the school to prison pipeline and uh, the roles of like African-American boys, brown boys, uh, Hispanic boys, giving them those leadership roles has greatly reduced like behavior issues in the classroom. So that's one of the biggest things that I have done. Like, hey, when I'm out or if I have to step out the room, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of this. And things go smoothly. Like the way that classroom, and this was actually some feedback on a recent observation I got is that how like asynchronously that like, I just basically facilitate the classroom and the kids are so independent. They're just like, how do you do it? And I'm like, give them the power. Like it's our classroom, like whatever they need to do, tell me, like whatever I need them to do, they do it. Like, When did you learn to do that, Corey? What made you think to try that? How long have you been doing that? Oh, well, honestly, just working with teenagers, uh, primarily kids who are like already over my head. I'm like, okay, you're not but an adult. So, uh, and you're much bigger than me. So um, you want to be an adult. You want to be treated like an adult. Let's practice. Um, Yeah, show me like these are life skills. Like, yes, I could teach you all about verbs and parts of speech and uh, complex sentences, but I've got to teach you life skills too. So show me how you would react in this situation. if there's a crisis and an adult has to step out the room, how would you react? Things like that. Right. Yeah. That's so what, what teaching is, because you do need to know a complex sentence and there are different reasons why we write. So yeah. I need you to show me how you show up in each of those times. Exactly. Yeah. I just love that you're doing that, Corey. It's so hard to get teachers there. And I wonder if it's part of our traditional teacher training. I'm like, I don't have a bone to pick with it. I don't work for a university. I just wonder, how do we get to that sooner? Yeah, yeah. And like, I hear coworkers say like, oh, you trust your kids so much? Yeah, I do. They have not given me a reason. (laughs) And like, if we do get to a situation where a kid gets rowdy or they don't know how to handle a situation, like we just discussed, we debrief and then we give them their power back, you know? (laughs) Wait, you teach them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Here's a crazy thing. They teach me, too. Like, oh, they handle these situations really well. Like, they oh, don't yes. do situations like this. I uh, have heard Catherine... Oh, sorry, cut you off, Corey. No, go, go for it. Catherine, I've heard you tell so many stories of... And weaponize is a strong word, but it's like you weaponize your vulnerability. You weaponize it in a good way. You um, 
you empower your vulnerability. So Catherine will, when she messes up in front of students and staff, <laughs> she'll just say yes. it like, oh, and I just really dropped the ball on that. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, yeah. I guess it's just, hmm. Yeah. Have you, Catherine, how have you seen that help your relationships with students, like being honest about messing up and letting, Thank even you. letting students correctly, like you let students correct you, Catherine. And I love that. I hope they do. A power battle. There you go. You know, when I hear Wait, wait, Catherine, me, shouldn't like, you be able to mispronounce a student's name the entire year or just give them a new one? Hard to say. Let me just go in my office for a moment. <sighs> you know, <laughs> like what the heck? Let's let's show up as humans, shall we? And I really think figuring out how to set the culture where vulnerability is a norm and helping each other is a norm and making mistakes is a norm. The more you can build that culture of showing up as a human, the more it opens the floodgates for everything else. And there's a lot of power in that. And so whether it's a student, me saying, oh my, I get so disorganized, guys, I lose my spot. Can someone please help me write our agenda on the board? We're going in order, y'all catch me if I'm going out of order, right, Corey? <laughs> like, yes. I just need yes. help, we all need help. And so teaching that and norming that is really powerful. And I don't think it can be understated. It's really also showing the kids you need them to yeah. help you be your best self. Yes. Yeah. When I started outsourcing, go ahead, Corey. I just in those moments where it's like, I could be going with a lesson in these like, oh, so perfect lesson plans that perfectly. (laughs) I can just go, y'all, I don't know where I was going with that. Let's just retract for a minute. (laughs) Our teen program, I started writing the end of day procedure. Like we were using a different uh, organization space. And so there was a lot of particular cleanup and that my brain's not good at that. And it was amazing to learn that I could just be honest with the teens and say, I'm going to forget this if it isn't written down. And if I forget it, we're going to get in trouble and not be able to meet here. And so I would write out the end of the day procedure on the board and ask them to remind me when we had forgotten something. And it was amazing the response, the students, the teens had to that. And then like y'all are saying with your examples, like you learn, you can give them more and more, um, more to play with. Like then it was someone else's responsibility to write up the procedure on the wall. And then they would come up with ideas like, well, can't we do more to clean up or can't we do more yes. to make order ordering lunch efficient? There was a day of putting, get lunch ordered because, um, Chick-fil-A would not deliver French fries. It was a whole thing. And so we, we had a, thing planned for that hour but the we wanted them to enjoy lunch and power sharing and it we couldn't figure out lunch and I don't know we didn't want them to be disappointed by not having Chick-fil-A so we were like here's the parameters here's the problem they won't deliver with fries and so we changed the plans and like this group of 30 teens they they figured out what to do for lunch instead and they asked all these questions about like well would they let us pick up the fries or they came up with so many different ideas. And then in the end, we couldn't do Chick-fil-A at all, but because we had gone through it all with them, we did not have to explain why they didn't have Chick-fil-A so they wouldn't be disappointed. Like they knew they had tried everything and then they were happy with their subs because it wasn't plan A, but they got to create plan B. Wait, so giving them a voice and giving them a reason why was an effective way of communicating with teenagers? You know, 
crazy, <laughs> so crazy. And it's because it was a leadership program. And so whatever our plan had been, them having to figure out the solution to a problem using parameters. Oh, wow. Is that, is that leadership? And they're good at it. Like they amaze me daily with their problem solving skills. Like, I'm like, I never would have thought of that. Yes. I, I agree. I agree. And one of my favorite uh, not favorite. I mean, okay, fine. We all have favorites, but one of my favorite administrators, she just would come up to us to say as teachers, like, what do you need from me right now? And I would always think like, I need a professional to, actually, no, I need to leave 15 minutes early because I need to get my oil changed. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so now I've realized when I, when kids are having a hard time and we're just having like a really big come apart, what do you need from me? And I'm elementary and some kids need to sit in your lap and have just a cry for a minute. And other kids just need to hit the freaking wall for a minute. And I'm like, all right, let's grow a glove or hit a pillow. We have choices. You know, <laughs> it's like, ask, it turns out that asking humans also what they need, need bottom of Maslow's triangle yeah. here, need is really powerful. I'm curious. Um, so my role post-pandemic, like first year of them being fully back has been 60% teacher, 40% therapist. And this is like at secondary level. Like, honestly, like, again, what do you need from me today? A lot of them need just like that therapy hat. Is it similar in elementary? I mean, it's probably um, not complex, but like. I, I would say it's like, about 90% therapy. 10%. Oh, gosh. Well, oh, some man. of these kids and I guess I'm speaking as a mom too. Some of these kids all of a sudden have this extreme interruption in their social development. Just this bracket where maybe your grownups at home were at home more than what they were before, or now you're at home with them, or now your grownups are having to go work and it's not safe for you to be around them when they come home. So you're at somebody else's house for a longer amount of time. Oh and yeah. it's the kids are confused, and thankfully, kids are resilient. And so they can figure it out. And they're really brave in asking the hard questions, whereas adults get a little bit oh, yeah. freaked out about them. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of therapy and then some teaching. Yeah, yeah that's what I contemplate. <laughs> it's like, where are we at today? And honestly, like, that influences what we do today. If I can read the room and see that, yes. like, okay, mentally, we're not here today. Do we need just, like, 15-minute, like, moment, like a brain break? Do we need to just take today as, like, hey, we're just checking out today. We'll catch up tomorrow. Right. I think in the classroom as well. It's really powerful. And that's some of the stuff that has helped me so much in understanding myself and other adults and working with myself and other adults. The stuff with kids is so on the surface. Like Catherine, Catherine has taught in a lot of um, really high poverty, high trauma school districts. And so she'll say like, you know, she knows the kids in her class that had to walk a mile to school in the snow with a jacket, not a coat. And so when, when she says like, what do you need right now to a kid? She might know that he had it's to get a nap. His... Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's not a place where you can get a lot of sleep. And, you know, thinking of that with adults learning about conflict resolution, you know, so much of conflict might just be that you aren't talking about the same needs and there's so much that you don't actually need to fight about because oh, there's just a need that's not being met. And the way both of you adjust to your classes, to the 
to the needs that are in front of you. I think if everyone could have learned, could have experienced that as kids um, or seen how well that works with students, if we could try that in workplaces, that would be amazing because we're not machines. And there are days where we just need to adjust yeah. what's expected of us a little bit. I agree. And I don't see why adults are so embarrassed. Like those bottom Maslow's needs, like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm tired today. I'm hungry. Like, I didn't like food. Like, that's what's wrong with me today. Because my kids have no issue saying, I'm hungry. I'm tired. Like, I just need to for a bit. And I'm like, okay, thank you for letting me know. This mm-hmm. is the game plan. Let's work together and make it happen, you know? I really wish adults would just be like, I'm tired instead of being grumpy at each other. Yes, that's the thing. Like probably me too. So like, let's just take a nap and forget this. <laughs> well, and like, I feel like that's one of my jobs as an administrator is to show up as human. I mean, I, you know, every day, every day is fine. And then some days are just harder. And one of the days that I had to leave these really intense data meetings, I just said, look guys, physically, I feel lousy. I took the COVID test. I'm negative and vaccinated, all things. I'm feeling at like 40% right now. And one of the teachers said, do you want me to turn off the back lights? Yeah, I do. <laughs> like, thank you so much. And I got tripped up on my words and I, I just kind of had these like longer than normal processing times and they were so gracious. And I think they need to see that coming from everywhere in the school building because they have to be on the they have to get to engage with that as adults, teachers do and staff do before they can really engage with it in kids because you have to feel what it feels like. And I think too, and tell me if I'm going off here, Corey, I'll get back in my lane. <laughs> I think it's really amazing when I've worked with these students who have walked a mile in the snow with a jacket and they're you know, three sisters and one of them has tape on their shoes and they get to school on time, have breakfast and then theoretically be ready to learn. And then going somewhere else in the same town and then saying, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is not ready to learn because they, you know, it's just hard for them. I can see that they, their trusted adult drove them to school. They have access to, you know, they have everything that like middle-class provides and yet, oh no, they're not ready to learn. I'm sitting here thinking, really? Because these other kids 10 miles away, are complete badasses in showing up like this. And some of them are still translating at the same time. Yes. And it's scary because it's almost like, oh, you're title one. All of a sudden we've lowered the bar for what your success can look like. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. These kids are doing so much more and so much more. Before 7 a.m. Before 7 a.m. a.m. Like, I could not imagine getting my siblings together, fixing them breakfast, getting myself prepared, like, trying to figure out what the rest of the day is going to look like all before 7 a.m. Like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> get your uniform on, get, yes. <laughs> get your library books, remember your specials for the day. Oh, my goodness. And then to learn that some of those students, especially if they're not white, they get dinged for being disrespectful when it's just a cultural difference. Catherine taught me this amazing word called add-ins when the person with the mic is talking and other people and people in the group are talking too. Sometimes they're not being rude and interrupting. Sometimes what they're doing is an add-in to let you know that they really like what you're saying or they agree or they're with you. And tragically, for a lot of us white folks, we were raised that the way that you are polite in an audience is to be as quiet and still as possible. And so we can perceive it as rudeness if 
students of color are are making noise when we talk and what the the noise might actually mean is yes we love it we're with you keep going and how tragic then to be like stop being disrespectful oh uh. correct me if i'm wrong kiddo didn't we have that conversation i think about like something with church how like in traditional black churches call and respond and then yes yes so I don't know what the word is for it at church, but same thing. I was in a mixed race preaching class and the everyone had to write a sermon and, and preach it to the group. And um, a black man was preaching his sermon and he stopped pretty quick into his sermon and said, y'all, he was, he was like on the edge of torn up by the white people in the room because we were so he didn't think we were with him like he thought we were in eyes oh, eyes open comas and he was like y'all aren't y'all have to give me something and we were like what are you talking about and he was like are you here are you listening like why aren't you interacting with me like we ended up having to pause the class to to figure out together in real time that white people and black people do church differently and for black people, the way that you participate in preaching as a worship experience is add-ins. And for white people, we show that we are being respectful by being quiet and still. And by doing that, we were literal energy zombies. We were draining his energy by not participating back at him. And I extrapolating what's under the surface there, I think this is why it can be incredibly lonely to be a white person because we are taught that everything is on your shoulders and your bootstraps. And like preaching, it is your job to come up with a good sermon and make sure you do a good job delivering it versus the black experience of it's the preacher's job to show up with a sermon, but it's everyone who's listening's job to amplify, magnify and throw it back <laughs> and build it together. Yes. And the, yeah, but the white experience is no, be, be quiet and do it by yourself and we'll be quiet as we listen. And you won't even know if we're listening or with you. Yeah, I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, look, this is our classroom. I'm not going to talk to myself. Like I need response. I need you to engage. I need you to say, you're not making any sense. I love this lesson. Can we speed this up? Are you with me? Yes, are you with me? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't rather just know when they all have Fs on their tests in three weeks that they weren't with you? Wouldn't that just be a better way? Oh, yeah, for sure. Or just to stand up there for an hour and lecture, just talk to myself. Absolutely not. <laughs> I hate well, I think really it's an option to get the in the moment feedback and that you don't have to perceive it as rude. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I had such a hard time when we moved. I've led a lot of professional development on the front range. There is a more definitely more balanced with white and teachers of color. And I love it when I'm in a training or whatever and I'm, you know, hearing some snapping or I'm getting some sound and I really appreciate it. And I came here and I'm literally in our first PD and it is silent. And I stopped because I was like, I'm sorry. Am I using words for just not like jiving? What? I, I feel like I've lost you and I'm on minute five. <laughs> I need some feedback here. And I'm like, oh, no, we're with you. I was like, then let's just start with a quiet thing, like a thumbs up or maybe a smile. Yeah. Yeah. And I need some feedback. Yes, please. Like, ugh. Yeah. It's a difference though. I've received office referrals for things that I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> was that? Yeah. Obviously the teacher or the staff took it as disrespect, but if we're looking at intention, is that the intention of what the child meant? 
some things are pretty clear, like punching. Okay, fine. That's where we are. We're going to have to deal with that. But snapping or tisking, yeah. it's like, okay, well, wait, a, wait, wait just a minute. Were they trying to derail your lesson or were they either needing help and needing you to go back, getting attention because they're totally lost, or were they cheering you on? Like, what is at the root of that behavior? Because behavior is communication. So when you're writing a kid up for a form of communication, it's like, well, wait a minute, let's just pause and take a minute and think about what it was and what it's communicating. Because chances are, it's someone seeking connection and they're gonna get it. Let's maybe reframe it as a positive or learning about each other instead of just assuming that it's disrespect. Yeah. I completely agree. And nonverbal cues are so important. Like I can look and see if I just see blank faces, I'm like, I've missed y'all somewhere. And they're like, yeah, like you're going to have to go back over that again. <laughs> I'm like, just back up. <laughs> like you said, it's a form of communication. Like everything doesn't have to be verbalized. Like I didn't get that. Like that's again, relationship building, knowing your kids. Like I know that if the kid that's always responding is now looking at me super puzzled. Like I've dropped the ball somewhere. Like, <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> you're my weather vane and you're still, that's not oh. good. <laughs> and I think here's my theory. Tell me if you agree or disagree. Um, you know, the teen slang moves so fast and I feel like trying to keep up with it is just sad for all of us. Um, Cap, so, I understand it. <laughs> really? <laughs> Gen Z, like 90% of my life resolves, uh, resolves around in Gen Z. So, <laughs> one of the girls, elementary. <laughs> <laughs> so, the reason I'm bringing it up is because one of the teens I knew, she she dabbed back when that was a thing where, you know, you bend one arm and you put the other yeah. arm way up in the air. We and know it, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Shut Sorry, up. Kendall. I just had to her, subst- her substitute teacher did not know what it was and sent her to the office for making gang signs. Oh my gosh. Yes, she was a young black girl. Um, so, I mean, g- gang signs are a thing, sure. And, you know, Pepe the Frog, the um, cartoon internet meme, did get co opted by white supremacy. So, like, one of my teacher friends had to do some intensive interventions with young boys who were using Pepe the Frog to wink at white supremacy and Nazism. And had she not known that, she would have missed something big. But then on the other hand, this girl was dabbing and it wasn't related to gang signs. It was just a teen dance move and she got sent to the principals for it. So what is it? what does a teacher do when you can't keep up with everything that um, every symbol and word that the young people might be using. I would just think maybe relationships, but I don't know. That and just like research, like be that old person, yeah. like, what does that mean? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, and so many times when I ask a kid, like, what, what was that? Yeah. Like, well, it's not so, well, I can't, um, you know, and that's my cue to Google it on my phone, not on my work computer. Yeah. And figure <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to take a minute on my phone. <laughs> and then other times kids will be like, oh, it's a dance thing. And then if they get up and do it again readily and like, oh, look at my friends doing it. You know, we have to, you know, kids, they know, they know what those boundaries are. They know what those norms are. Mm-hmm. And so ask them. Turns out a lot of them 
know. And sometimes they won't know and they need help getting there, but that's like a handful of times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like pretty clear Two different, two clearly different responses. The sheepishness um, versus the, oh, it, it just means this is the new dance move. Yeah. Like Catherine said, like they know when, okay, maybe that wasn't school behavior, you know, because I'm constantly right. my like, is this weekend behavior? Is this like, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. yeah. Can we talk about code switching and how do you all approach that? And do you teach it or refer to it implicitly or explicitly with students or with other teachers? Go. You want to okay. go first, Corey? I will. So I always tell my kids, if anyone is in the room who looks older than me, uh, is dressed fancier <laughs> than me, if they have a clipboard, if you do not recognize them, <laughs> we don't use... AKA district. Yes. <laughs> or the state or like an administrator. We don't use the language. But if we're just vibing in the classroom communicating, uh, as long as it's PG-13, I'll allow it. <laughs> I love the clipboard because that's so true. Yes, I was like, if they're wearing heels, if they have a tie on, if they have a name tag, like... Lock it up. Lock it, it up. it works. It works. Um, I actually had stepped out to use the restroom, again, because I trust my kids, and district popped in, and they were just, like, silent. And I was like, thank you all. And in the feedback, they were like, we had no issue with you, like, stepping out because the kids were under control. So, again, just boundaries, rules, and, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think I have kind of two hats I wear on that. When I was a teacher, then I would say, how you speak in this room is how we learn about each other. And so if you're changing your language or the way you communicate with a grown-up when you're in this room, if you're doing it out of respect for me, I need to kind of understand why. Is it because you're afraid you're going to offend me? Is it because you don't trust me? Is it because you're not sure I'll understand? it because this is what they told you at home that when you talk to white people like this is what it <laughs> it should sound like like I need to understand and some of the kids would be like yeah like my mom told me you know I need to talk with a different voice when I'm with white people especially white people at school that is hurtful and it's also like oh, crap like, this is what we've trained school to be crap <laughs> There's so much we're shedding out the door with our sense of self is this is how we're training kids to show up in a learning environment. At that point, it's not a learning environment. That's a performative environment. Mm. And don't get me wrong. I want you to perform, but. <laughs> but be yourself while you're performing. Like, I don't want you to fit this cookie cutter model. Like, show right. the difference how you do it. Student A style. Like, I don't want to see you replicate, I don't know, some like structure. I've done it. Put your own player to it. Right. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I ended up having a little girl and she was dyslexic and life was just really freaking hard for her. And she's bilingual. And I'm like, Woo, how a dyslexic brain does both like bless. <laughs> like I have no idea. And she ended up just saying, I said, what do you like? What makes you happy? And she said, dancing. And I was like, what kind of dancing? Tell me more. And a few weeks later, she ended up coming to the school and bringing her beautiful dancing dress. I forget what it's called, but it's handed down through generations. It's like a Hispanic tradition. She brought her partner and the grandmother cooked so much delicious food. <gasps> Shoved it in my mouth. And we ended up 
they did a dance in our parking lot because there was space for all the twirling and all of the cool things to see. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this didn't happen until the spring. What would have happened if I had asked her in August, hey, what makes you happy? Yeah. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> that and was on one of the handouts from educating children of color was where can you integrate what they're into? Like whatever, if you need to teach about fractions or you need to teach about quotation marks, like figure out what the kids like first and then use that to help them learn about the fractions and quotes. Sorry, Corey, cut you off. No, I'm just going to build on that point. Uh, so that's why I asked these kids. So what's the plan? What's the goal after high school? Let's not just think mm -hmm. about, oh, this unit on theme and plot, like what's our life goal? Because yeah, you know, writing a sentence or writing on sentences aren't going to be, you know, you're not going to get tested on that when you're an adult, but if you're going to be reading contracts, if you want to be an entrepreneur, and you got to write contracts, you know, complete sentences are important. So this is why we need to understand these skills and things like that. So yes, I think lifelong goals are crucial when it comes to like teaching content. Well, and I have to think too, I think exposure in elementary, I feel so much like exposure is so much where we build that kind of foundation of understanding and <clears throat> what that exposure means. So we're new to the Western Slope. A lot of these kids have been skiing and snowboarding and extreme winter sports literally since they could walk love it and then here yeah here we come and we're like hi we're on greens no actually we're on the magic carpet <laughs> so actually the beginning and I'm like oh my gosh even you know just thinking about what we can learn and what exposure we have and so then I think too in elementary so if you're not sure if you want to be a contract writer in the future or if your job is going to include some element of that how am I exposing you to those concepts and giving you opportunities to try out different things in elementary school? So then when you get to middle and high, you can say, oh, I know about these 80 careers and I know I really narrowed it down to 50. Yeah. Yeah. And like, these are the ones I really like to do. I enjoy right. working with others, but I may not be tech savvy so these are the like choices I have for my career and stuff like I love it it's uh it's great what's the hardest part because that sounds scary to me when they get taller than me I'm kind of like mm, long out we're giant babies so that's the thing like they're just like giant elementary school kids and like these six foot two <laughs> 200 pound bodies like uh it's it's miraculous I'm just like there are still days it's like you're not being yourself like what's wrong do you need a hug and they're like yes and like oh yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> or, hey, like, I know what you're playing in block. Can I just like sit in here for five minutes? And granted, like, they have the whole classroom to sit, but they choose to sit three inches from me. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, Corey, I want to brag on you. There was a huge fight at Corey School a few months ago. Um, and my, my boyfriend's a cop. And so he, he was, I think he might've been one of the first ones on there. And when he saw what was going on, he was like, yeah, we need everyone here. We need all the cops. Let's, let's send all the cops. My boyfriend's pretty chill. So if he says that stuff's probably hit the fan. Yeah. And I remember texting Corey and like, I don't, I didn't text you in the moment at the end of the day, I was like, oh yeah, there was a big deal at Corey school today. I should check in. Um, and you were like, oh no, that was fine. Like some kids came to my, my room to hang out while it was going on. And I was just like, okay. Yes! Like, it's like the sanctuary like they come in here yeah. and like they know it's open door policy so like literally oh, the yes. yeah yeah so i love it again that's where one of those therapy sessions come in <laughs>
Can I brag on you, Catherine, and tell a slightly personal story about you? Let's see. <laughs> no. okay. yeah, go for it. <laughs> that, that horrible time in your life where the kids had to get your coffee for you because you yep. couldn't do it. When okay. Catherine was um, undergoing cancer treatment, she every day a different, was it a different kid? Did they earn the right? Or was it, they had it for a week, but anyway, she wouldn't go to the staff room to get her coffee. Students would go, and this is elementary school and they all knew how she liked her coffee and they would go to the staff room to get her coffee. And I just thought, I, I remember how special it felt for the teacher to ask you to do anything when you're that little and, oh my gosh, they got to leave the classroom holding one of the teacher's possessions to go into the teacher only room and prepare a beverage and bring it like the amount of trust and authority and then expertise because I know Catherine has a specific way she likes her coffee and I know that students Mm -hmm. and so she wouldn't have pulled back on how exactly she wanted her coffee so like wow that must have been very meaningful for those students to get your coffee. I trust my students who have run in my classroom more than I trust like 60% of my like co-workers. Actually, it's probably higher than that. It's probably close to like 80%. Like they know the routine. Like they know where things go. They know how to pass out papers, attendance. Like they're my substitutes. If I'm out. Yes, yes, they are. Yes. I can even send them to sub for someone else because I know you know how to do it in here. Yes, like check on them every 20 minutes or so they will be fine like i'm even gonna give you my timers like i need you to go <laughs> and they ask like do we have to have a substitute i'm like legally yes like we're <laughs> pesky law yeah, i prefer you didn't but still not me you know <laughs> well and like you know what's so crazy is that year i I was really sick. I was doing cancer treatments. I had radiation. I didn't have the energy to stand. I brought in a rocking chair. sat in a rocking chair a lot. It was also one of the biggest classes I had had. And I'm not going to say I was cranky, but I was definitely cranky. And I needed the students to do like more without me. I also had my highest scores that year. And it's not all about scores. It makes me wonder like what about what kind of agency did I foster and build up in them and trust? was I forced to have in them, but then made them show up for themselves in this other way. And I've never, I never had a year with scores that high. Mine were decent, but never that high. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dang. Um, independence <laughs> is key. Like, yeah. and again, that's a major life skill, like teaching them autonomy is like more than any other standards that like Virginia has to offer or any test. Right. And when I mean ask three before me, and I really mean like five and find the answer, get a Chromebook. <laughs> That's my favorite thing, though, because usually they'll ask and one of their classmates will say, he'll just said that, like, this is the answer. And I'm like, <laughs> I love it when you don't even have to provide your own back. I'm like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> like, run with it. I know. And usually I just say, That's what he said. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think uh-huh. that's what he said, or that's what she said, because teenagers, you know. Like. I know, I know. <laughs> and usually I'll say, he got it. Because in my brain, I'm like, Catherine, that's not professional. <laughs> so we've kind of dipped into, like, the last three questions, but there are a couple more I kind of want to just, um, like, elaborate a little bit on. So what's your experience okay. with uh, Title I education, and where do you see the biggest areas of inequity? So I've spent... Um, six, seven years in title, and then a few years not in title. And 
not entitled now. I'm going to be honest with you, Corey, I miss it. There's a different grit. Yep. There's a different grit. There's a different attitude and framework of, well, we're going to do it because we have to do it. Mm -hmm. And I love that commitment to figuring out the answer. And I feel like a lot of that just naturally comes out of title one because you get your title one status through family income yeah. and figuring out over time. And so you have to reach this threshold of financial poverty. I'm saying financial poverty on purpose because they're some of the richest families. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> financial poverty to get that status. And there's a lot of grit, whether you're with your parents at night when they're clean in the school, we have that a lot. And these kids figuring out where to do homework or where to find food, like the sense of agency is so incredible in Title I. And I think that's a huge misunderstanding. People think, oh, these poor kids, oh, they need so much help. No, they don't need you to whatever that is at them, on them. No, thank Uh you instead just be like oh I see you and let's get where we need to go yeah and I think too I mean the savior complex comes in really hard especially when teachers come in and are like so well-intentioned and I'm gonna get this class where they need to be I'm gonna do this for them and I'm gonna give them something they've ever had Ooh, really <laughs> yes probably not going to work that way and if you let them they'll probably actually teach you a whole lot about being a human that will make your life better um and I think academically it's incredible to see how kids in title one I feel like they have almost this broader view of taking all the different gears and they have to see how to put them together before you can teach them to make the gears turn yeah whereas the traditional teaching model it's like here's this gear gonna turn here's this gear and it's gonna turn yeah. I feel like in title one it's a very different thing because they have a broader scape of reality mm-hmm. yeah. or their reality is different and that or their gears are a little rusty so they've got to clean them up first right. and, oh this spoke is broken so we've got to repair this spoke and then I've got to teach you how it yeah yeah right but they're there yeah they are they're very resilient like oh my gosh these kids yeah. are sometimes my heroes I'm like I don't know how you figured that out so quickly and still have like a positive outlook with it, but you did it. Right. I mean, we went virtual and I could see a couple kids, they had brick behind them. And I'm like, huh, where are they? They have brick inside their house. No, they're sitting outside the school building. This is where Wi-Fi is. Yeah. They brought their school device and it's hooked online. Like respect, nothing but respect for that because that is a grind. Like that is. I love that. Oh man. I was like, I'm not going to cry. They're like, I know. (laughs) the same way right now. Because it looks like, <laughs> why are you crying? I'm like, because y'all are my heroes. Like, y'all get right. it. They react right. so much better than most adults. Like, oh, I man. I know. And I tell kids all the time, like, man, I look up to you. Like, that's yeah. incredible. I get tired, and I know you get tired, and yet here you are. Like, yeah. dang, I look up to you. That is cool yeah. that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. this title. I wouldn't want to go anywhere else though. Like you said, like keep me in title one, keep me like right here. Like no prep school, no like magnet school. Like no, right here, title one. Like don't move me. <laughs> like I've almost had to grieve that, Corey. That sounds so crazy, but like I've had to grieve what it means to not be in a title school. Yeah. What I realized is even though the financial makeup looks a little different, mm-hmm. there are still those zones there. That yeah. They're hidden. There are yeah. more doors dropped that you have to unlock before you get there because yeah. 
white middle class culture really locks those down. Yeah, yeah. And it's a different set of tools that I just have to adjust. I agree. And then I'm also at a turnaround school. So we're fighting for accreditation too. So we've kind of got like, <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't look so excited when you say, turnaround. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a process, but like once we come out yes. on top, like, so when I tell people like my kids are grinding, like they are grinding, like they are fighting like battles. <laughs> so Corey, do you want to explain what a turnaround school is? Cause I just realized Kendall may not know what that is. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. So a turnaround school, it's a, uh, it's either a school that has like accreditations with um, what's the term, Catherine um, modification. Is that it? Yeah. It's different in Virginia versus Colorado, what the terminology is, but for us, you've really reached a, you're not performing. You're not within compliance. You're not, you're almost not doing enough to stay open. Yeah. It's the last I'm, stop before I'm, they close your school. Okay. And so um, you can be either like state monitored or like mm-hmm. if you're in the red, you can become like state controlled where the state of Virginia comes in and like they take over. You're seeing probably a lot of people with clipboards, Corey. Yes. Like we okay. at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah. yeah. Burn. So okay. Level, um, we're, the official term is like state monitored. So we're like at the last stage before like, they come in and like take over and so like whip a state controlled school like they can do like whatever they want like um their teacher have told stories of um like them closing schools making them charter schools like doing a clean sweep and just like they can do whatever they want whatever they want mm. yeah yeah so we're hoping that we don't get there we're, we've made some progress this year so um i'm hoping that we continue on this path but yeah it's been a wild year <laughs> So like, Corey, this is where I get tripped up too, because something Title One really taught me is compliant and proficiency are two very different things. Yes. So oh. you can be like, <laughs> you can be quiet and on task. It doesn't mean you know jack spot. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yes. Or so what that you got a 357 on the score and you wanted a 375. Like, hey, they know the content. They passed every one of my tests. Like so many other factors could have gone into that day. Like you didn't let them have their headphones. Right. They weren't better with headphones. Like. They were right. Yeah. Right. You made them take their hat off. Oh my gosh. That is like. <laughs> Are you saying There's that's not one a one. hill that, that a teacher should die on? That's not a power struggle to. to what? Sometimes so, I wear a hat through the whole school day. Did you know that? I'm an administrator and I wear hats sometimes. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah. Guess what? You should be comfortable in your body when you're at school. <laughs> Me and my kids sometimes will like have this like hidden language where like most of the time they'll take it off for me if I like ask. So like one of the like mean teachers will ask them to do it and they'll refuse to do it and then they'll see me and like immediately do it. And teachers like, how do you get them to do it? I'm like, I treat them like the person they want to be treated. Yeah, with respect. Like, There's gotta be something to relationships and not expecting a hundred percent compliance all the time that makes it like this is a chip I will use occasionally and then it works or things to be compliant with like you're going to wear a hat for the rest of your life like so what like yeah you're in a school building wearing a hat what life skills that teaching you like uh. right 
Well, and then I wonder too, sometimes I'm like, is this really about me? Cause we have some kids who just, they had a rough morning, had a whatever the hat is like mm. kind of an F you <laughs> leave me alone right now. And if I take that off, then I'm just asking you to explode. I took your coping mechanism away. It's all, I took away your external signal yeah. <laughs> internally. Yeah. Things aren't going well. I just took that away. That yeah. is not okay. And again, so it's like thinking about it, knowing your kids. Yeah. And like, again, with like title one kids, kids in like low poverty situations, like that could be their only possession and you're stripping it just for like compliance. Like, absolutely not. Like if you're going to get all your work done and you're going to have your hood on, you need to have your earbuds in, like go with it. Do what you need to do. Sounds good. Is it proficient? Are you going to apply the feedback I gave you? Great. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Put those earbuds back in. (laughs) I think something y'all are both good at is what is the underlying principle that matters? And is that being respected, regardless of what the appearance looks like? Yeah. What's your why? Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Are they wearing this hat to be personally disrespectful to me, to the school, to the country? Probably not. They might just need a little bit of a force field today. Yeah. And 80% of the time it's, I need a haircut. Mom doesn't get paid for another three weeks. I look like crap. I don't want to be the target yeah. of bullying. So like, I'm going to put my hood on. Right. Like, yeah. Right. And I had a lot of girls and they'd say, oh, my mom started my hair last night. And then they got like two went to bed. And so they'd be like half, half bad. And like, yeah. All right. Well, do you want to check your cubby and see if you have another hat? You want to switch it out? Like, <laughs> hey, a bonnet, a wrap, whatever. Like, get your right. Like, like, you don't need to feel naked right now. Like, that is just not ever a way I want you to feel. And so let's figure out what it's going to look like in this space. My yeah. favorite part is when they're like, Mr. Williams, you need a haircut. I'm like, okay, we're not going to play this game. <laughs> oh, I'm always like, you're right. My roots are showing. That's right. I know. <laughs> So if I have a sub next week, you'll know why. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So I'm going to use one of my teacher techniques. Kendall, can you help me with the, the final question? We, uh, we were talking about like the under and misdiagnosis of black and brown boys. Was that with um, ADHD? Was that mental illness? Did you help Mr. Williams in what I meant by that? <laughs> I love how you're sharing power and expressing vulnerability yeah. and, and testing my recall on our conversation two months ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we were saying is the typical elementary school classroom not designed for typical boys and so what we want to label as disrespect might just be that they need more recess breaks and Catherine I remember that year that you were in treatment and in the rocking chair a lot you had your kids do like jumping jacks and push-ups in between activities and I bet that's part of why yeah um they they, you were physically keeping them tired (laughs) but like you were helping them get their energy out right um, right, so yeah. I don't know what the stats are, but what I've heard in different places is that ha- how is it happening that black and brown boys, they're being like too diagnosed with one thing and not diagnosed enough with the other thing. So whatever it is there, w- whatever they need is being missed. And I, I don't know why that is, but I wonder with boys in particular, if the design of most elementary schools is just not conducive to little boys. And so, or because girls are more likely to be socialized, to be compliant, they stay in their seats. And so they don't get diagnosed with ADHD because they're not as likely to be disruptive. Um, I don't know. So what's, what's going on with all of that? (laughs) Is it gender? Is it race? Is it what? 
mink in my stink face because it's all of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all of it. And like, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was in high school, but I was quiet and I was compliant and I could do enough and I got by with it. And then I wonder, inversely, like, who got the diagnosis that should have been mine? (laughs) Who were they looking at? Who were they studying? And for what cause? Is it because they were rowdy? Is it because the student naturally has a higher verve and energy where they need to move? Is it, what set of criteria are we setting up as our red alert to say, hey, this kid needs help? And I think in schools where it's so powerful for kids to have teachers that look like them and staff, it's so, so powerful. And so that's a huge thing right there to just say, hey, my teacher doesn't get how I am. They don't get my culture. They don't get how my body needs to move. They don't get that. And so thinking about how we also need kids to be kids. So when you're eight years old, I should only be teaching you an eight minute, eight to 10 minute chunks instead of this long sit and get thing. And so if at the end of that eight minutes, you're kind of losing it and you're tapping or you're you know, moving around, that's not a kid fail. That's a kid being a kid. Yes. <laughs> an adult fail. Yeah. And then it's, it's so hard because then when kids even get out of their, you know, that's fairly benign, but when kids get out of their seat, seat and start moving, I think teachers, and I, I'll say this for me sometimes, I, I feel threatened all of a sudden, like, why are you out of your seat? It's not what you're supposed to do, what are you doing? And in those moments, if I didn't build in appropriate timing and pacing, if I didn't move it, add in movement breaks, and if I didn't really share purpose or power, then that's when I felt the most threatened. And so it's like catching it in the moment, being like, well, wait. <laughs> and I would tell them, ooh, y'all, this is a this isn't this long problem. I need to recalibrate for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> We're all gonna have to go shake it out for a minute. Yeah. And it's uh, I can be on the soapbox for a while. It really sucks. And it's especially black boys. I think people get threatened and there was embarrassing story on myself. I was sitting on the cafe and the gym floor working with a child on the spectrum. And we were sitting there because it was quiet and we were practicing handling the echoey sound in the um, gym. And then all of a sudden these black boys come in, they all come in 10 or 15 black boys who came in because they earned recess, no adult with them. And I automatically thought, you're not supposed to be here right now. Oh, gross, disgusting. Why? Why did that make me nervous? It's like, gosh, what have we had trained into us and what have we accepted without realizing it? Because if, as a teacher, I'm responding with that and I know these kids, I freaking taught half of them. <laughs> Yeah. And like, baby, where's this perception of threat coming from? Is it because it's unexpected? Is it because it's a bunch of humans at one time? Is it because I have some kind of racism within me that I'm like, oh no, this is a threat. What do I need to reflect on and change so that I don't respond that way? Because kids shouldn't be greeted with a stink face. Like that is not everything that should happen. Yeah. And so it's <sighs> Or just question hard. what you know because high school level like the kids they have like a digital how how pass so like on their phone like they just show it and whatever but heard of that. yeah it's called e-hall pass it works it's brilliant but these kids get stopped three to four times more asking where are you going are you skipping why are you in the hallways versus they're non-black or um white peers and they get no interaction it's just like they get to go on their way so man yes Ew, it's like a mirror of society outside the school yeah yeah 
Mm. And again, going back to the code switching thing, like I have to teach them just be compliant, say, this is where I'm going. Like, don't argue back. Like, it's the motive. Just explain your reasoning. And again, we shouldn't have to do that. Like, nope. and they say, well, this classmate doesn't have to explain this or this classmate doesn't get questioned. I wish I had the answers, but yeah. Oh. I think too, like, as a white teacher, I have to ask myself, what implicit things have I put on these kids that are saying you need to show up in a certain way? You need to explain what you're doing. You need to do whatever, because that's not fair. And so like every class I've taught, I'm like, all right, we're going to talk about implicit and explicit. And like, if you're picking up an implicit that I put down on you, anything I'm putting down on you isn't a thing that we should do because this is a learning space. So if you feel like I'm putting something down on you, then that's already like not okay. And here's are the ways that you can pull me aside. Don't embarrass me in front of the class because then I'm going to engage in a power struggle and we're both going to not win at that. So <laughs> here are the ways to sidebar me. <laughs> yeah. I find myself in those spaces too. Um, my kids are quick to call, uh, call me out like, hey, you disciplined him this way, but she didn't get the same treatment. That's not fair. And I'm like, you're right. Yes, I wish you would have pulled me to the side and said something. But like, then again, like I deserved it. Thank you for calling me out. Like I would definitely make adjustments. Hmm. And apologize be better. Yeah. Like apologize <laughs> to kids too. Like, why is that such a forbidden like task? Like, please normalize apologizing to kids. Like, hmm. yes. Yes. I wonder too, like, what does an apology mean to you? Because sometimes I think people perceive an apology as handing out their power. And I'm like, this should be completely unattached to power. This is just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Recognizing your awakening on that thing and then backpedaling to include the person and let them know you're on the same picture together. Come yeah. on. I had a student pull me. Um, anytime I like pull... I tell a kid, like, hey, let's step outside. Like, they know it's a more serious conversation. Yep. So, <laughs> I had a student raise their hand and say, I need to talk to you outside. <laughs> I was like, I have definitely done something. And mm -hmm. it was a conversation where, like, he felt like he was treated unfairly, that, like, I was more strict with him with policies and stuff. And the first two things I said was, like, hey, I'm sorry. And, like, his whole demeanor just, like, changed. He was like, that's it? I was like, yes. Why wouldn't I apologize to you? He was like, None of my other teachers apologized to me. Then I had to stop myself from crying again. I was like, look, dude, like, oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh. But it like changes your day. And again, that power dynamic, like give kids these power, like they're not going to abuse it. In fact, I can see, uh, sorry, go ahead, Corey. I can see adults abusing the power more than the kids. Like they have no reason to do that but they do call you out and they have embarrassed you in front of the group. And I can see why that is not a sell for anyone listening to, to start to open the, the floodgates for sharing power. You've gotten called out in front of the group and embarrassed, but see going past that, you can leave your class unattended and you're not embarrassed in front of the state or administration. So, exactly. and then I asked myself, am I embarrassed because he called me out or am I embarrassed because of the action I did to this child? Like, Amen. good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then I always wonder too, like, I live stream it and being like, oh, guys, he called me out and that was embarrassing. I can feel my face is so red right now. My body's feeling a little shaky and I'm just going to like need a minute. 
Yeah. And so then kids know, like, when you visually see someone turning red, they may feel shaky and need a moment. Yeah. Yeah, the cues I look for is like putting their hood on, putting their head down. I was like, oh, I hit a nerve. Let me uh, chat with them. <laughs> like, but nothing a bag of Takis or like a snack or like whatever their snack of the week is can fix. So like. Came out Takis. I pick up from Sam's Club. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Like there should be a text like credit just. Zip card. Yeah. <laughs> just send it with the COVID test to your house. Yes. <laughs> it's a bundle yes yes oh my goodness yeah and I'm, I'm interested I can like feel I just cross my arms I know. I, well I'm a boy mom I'm a straight up boy mom and I'm just wondering what schooling will look and feel like for them one of them is has a higher verbal movement movement I'm like all right well what are we gonna hit like yeah. What's coming up next? I know. It's boy, like, <laughs> but again, different like learning styles. So as all the PD that we've taught, all the like teacher classes we've been taught. So some are visual, some are uh, movement, some are mathematics, some are auditory, like just adjust with the kids. Like, again, I guess you use this mindless PD that we usually get. So like make it work for them. <laughs> That's awesome. I am curious. What cool relevant PD do you have next week? So um next week is kind of just like standard we're doing project is it christ chris whatever so like working with kids in poverty and like all those like techniques but after that i was telling kendall that i'll be in dc because um it's it's called a dream deferred and it's very similar to ecoc so it's gonna be like all the same techniques so like how to educate children of color i'm really excited for that one oh my gosh that's so cool yeah, yeah. So we might have to have like an episode part two after like this one. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I really took away from educating children of color was handshaking and greeting every student at the door and offering them a handshake. Oh, and yeah. I was like, that's so weird. Why would I ever do that? And I was like, dumb, dumb. That's exactly why you should do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I have students that will, their class be at the very other end of the school, but they make like an intent every day to come say hello, like check in on me before they go to class. And I'm like, Again, this is why y'all are my heroes. <laughs> I know. I get choked up, man, when kids come back. <laughs> yes. Like, they're like, I'm not going to be late. You tell my teacher, I just, I said, yes. Like, if they count you tardy, like, tell them talk to me. <laughs> like, right. Like, I would. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for your PD. Do you want to come teach in Colorado? Do you have any interest? <laughs> uh, DPS is not listening. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering too, and like, if you could just solve this problem, it'd be great. How do we get more educators of color, especially out here? That is a great question. Um, I think it's honestly just like, like the demographics like out there, like how do we just get more people of color out to the West in general, you know? Uh, I guess just like historically, we've settled here kind of like in the South, parts of the like Northwest and stuff like that, but. I've got to do more research on that one. Mr. Williams does not know the answer to that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it was frustrating because I realized in one of the schools where I worked, the educators of color were in service. Lunch ladies, custodians. And I was like, well, shoot, this is not, I mean, those positions are powerful. Oh my God. (laughs) But they don't see 
somebody that looks like them at the front of the room teaching them content. And I think that sends a different message. Well, it's with like certain content areas too. Like most of my kids have never had a black male English teacher. Like they've been either a history mm-hmm. teacher, uh, a PE teacher for sure, a coach, oh, yeah, coach, or like occasionally like a math teacher. Like, but most of them, if you were to ask them like, who's your first black teacher? It'd be me by ninth grade. Really? So, yeah. I've never had a black teacher. No, no. I had a teacher from Africa in grad school. Oh, wow. I've had one black teacher. Wow. A friend of mine at was at a school that had a ton of turnover with the teachers of color and they would ask the teachers why they were leaving and the teachers of color mm-hmm. would say why they're leaving and it was consistent and the administration kept going we don't know why the teachers of color are leaving the example my friend gave was one teacher was a, a black woman and she would interact culturally with the black students and she was dinged for being unprofessional. I was just about to share that. Uh, a coworker of mine had a walkthrough and the exact word that she got on her feedback was that she didn't know how to distinguish the difference in a black mom and being a professional. And she was treating her children too much like a black mom would treat her children. And I was like, okay, let's talk about professionalism with that one. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. I don't know what black culture is like from the inside because I've never been black, but I know that that sure sounds like, and I don't, I don't know if the person who wrote that was white, but that sounds like how, that sounds like how a white person would see something from the outside that we don't understand. And so we misinterpret it using the categories that we have. Yeah. And here's the thing, like as an educator of color, specifically like a black male educator, some days I'm big brother, like some days I'm big cousin, like those kids need like those spaces, like, and they know, yes, he's not old enough to like be my dad, but like, he's a strong male, like role model that like, I have missing from my life. Like, yes, he's my teacher, but I kind of need to borrow mm-hmm. in my life. So I'm sorry if that's not part of the criteria for a walkthrough, then like, maybe you need to adjust your criteria. <laughs> yeah, amen. It's yeah. Well, it is so true. And so I think one really powerful thing is when you end up doing walkthroughs for things like um, how to foster a sense of belonging. And so on this walkthrough, we're not looking at academics, we're looking at how we're fostering a sense of belonging. So when I see you talking to a student in something that I would consider a more familiar role, role than yeah. professional teacher student, I'm gonna say that fosters a sense of belonging. Yeah. That contributes to the culture of our building. It's a need. And so many kids need that sense of belonging. How are you going to build it? You're going to have a relationship with them. Yeah, you got to get into a little bit. Like, I've never got how, like, teachers can just, like, sit there and, like, not talk to their kids. Like, if I, like, walk past a classroom and I can hear a pin drop, I'm like, something's going on. Like, either they're in trouble or, like. <laughs> <laughs> Noisy is a loud thing. I mean, like, learning is a loud thing. It's a noisy it thing. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the other day, so we do a lot of games in my class, and like security was walking by, and like I could see that he was like occasionally like circling. So I told him like to take a small break, and I was just like, "Hey, is everything okay?" And he was like, "I was about to ask you the same thing." <laughs> like they were so loud that like it was like out of concern that he was like, "I'm making sure you were good." But then I saw you laughing with them, so I was like, "Oh, he's fine." <laughs> well, it's like a pride thing, but when all the kids in the hallway end up walking in the slowest motion ever to watch what's going on in your loud classroom. <laughs> Yes. I've engaged the hallway folks. <laughs> that and they want to pitch a 
they're like, oh, maybe she'll notice me if I like walk really slow. <laughs> Come on in, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love the, the, do you like them more than us? And I was like, no, there's no like distinguish between like, uh, you know, you're my former teacher. I don't like you anymore. Like, everyone gets to know the most of the It's so weird. My fifth grade, my first fifth grade class is graduating this year. Oh my gosh. And I already had two of them reach out to me. Are you going to be at graduation? And I'm like, yeah, you just let me know the teeth. And I'm going to get my waterproof mascara and I'm going to be there. Oh yeah. My, uh, my very first ninth grade group graduates this year. So like, I'm not prepared at all. Corey, has it been that long? Actually, no, I take that back. My first 10th graders graduate this year. And then when I graduate with my uh, EDD, my first group of ninth graders will graduate. So that one's really going to be like, I'm going to be all to pieces that month. Yeah. <laughs> like I just stay bloodshot. So I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I wish both of you all were more professional and keep it locked down. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. What's the rule? No smiling until December or no smiling until like Christmas break. Oh my God. I was like, yeah, we're not going to do that one. At the same time, I'm like, you know, if you were really explicit about your expectations and have like follow through that made sense, you could probably start smiling and by like lunchtime. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, or if you see how cool my kids are, like, how can you not laugh and like smile at them? Like, Right, but I'm also gonna remind you, like, here's the line, you touched it, and this is what's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so oh, any advice, Catherine, for teachers who are trying to engage more with their students, or they're trying to, maybe um, the demographic of students that they're working with, they're trying to learn more, any advice? Um, engage more, and I think this is something, so I'm gonna project a little. <laughs> When I am stressed and I am thinking about me and I'm like realizing my engagement isn't there, it's because I failed to engage. It's because I got so like wrapped up in myself yeah. that I forgot about all those people in front of me that I'm. <laughs> yeah, our favorite people. <laughs> exactly. And then I realized too, if I realize I'm going to walk around a student or do something to not engage with them, whoa, my yeah. behavior is communication. Yeah. Why would I do that? What? What made me do that? And now I've realized it's with girls more than boys. <laughs> I'm like, so hypersensitive to boys now. And I'm like, all right, I just walked around that girl. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I do that? Oh yeah. And they'll let you know, like in the mornings, like students will stop by. You spoke to them, but I walked past you. You didn't say anything to me. I'm like, I am so sorry. You were sick. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I am sorry. <laughs> Or sometimes I'll be like, hey, I gave you a head nod. Like, yeah, I don't remember that you really like being shouted at. So I just like gave you a nod. And I'm, I'm sorry that wasn't enough. I read that wrong. Good morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. Exactly. Like, it's such a little process. Yeah. And I'm going to say eat the food too. Whatever students give you, you got to suck it up and chow down, man. You have to. As long as it's wrapped. Like individually wrapped. Like Individually wrapped. I don't know. I'm eating some weird stuff. My stomach has ended up being fine and it has like food is the universal language. Yeah, it is. I actually tried Takis for the first time because of my kids. And of course it was the uh, community bag that everyone was reaching in. But like you said, it's a rite of passage. It is. Yeah. It was pre-COVID though. So I was like a little less well, worried. It was just like normal school germs, you know, so. 
Just the regular immune boosting exposure. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Corey, can I ask you a question? Sure. So what advice would you give people who are traditionally trained teachers that just aren't getting it that you can see being a career hopper? Get to know the kids. Like as cliche as it is, like get to know them. I literally like first couple of days of school, like questionnaire, like this is my name. This is my pronouns. Like these are my favorite snacks. This is yes. how I, I prefer small groups. I prefer large groups. I want to work by myself. Like <laughs> this is my birthday. I'm a huge birthday guy, like sidetrack. Like if it's your birthday, we're going all out. So like, yeah. So um, this is how I like to be celebrated. I don't like being celebrated. If I pass a test, do not put a sticker on my paper. Like, let me get to know you. Like, yeah. And if I get anything wrong, if I pronounce your name wrong, if um, you hey. prefer to work by yourself and I put you in a group, call me out. Like, yeah, our space, like, this is not my classroom. This is not your classroom. We share the space together. Like, yeah. And Corey, are you asking those questions? Like, are they in a questionnaire or are you picking that up over the course of time no it's like a piece of paper like okay so that's amazing like Like, leaders don't have to intuit what their people need and I know Catherine you have a questionnaire too so that people can be secret birthday gift givers well to people and not give people things they don't want or food that they can't eat so yeah one more mug Mm. (laughs) I need another place to put pencil that whole explicit thing is what I think I've learned from teachers that has helped me the most. Um, And for any organization wondering what to do about diversity and equity, make every single expectation explicit because I bet that is one of the things that is trip. If if you find that people from a different culture are not being hired or sticking around your organization, I wonder how many of the expectations are unspoken and Mm. Oh, you just are supposed to know, or like, oh, you're just supposed to catch the vibe. Well, it's a lot easier to catch the vibe with people that have the same background as you. So put the expectations, make them explicit. And if you can't make them explicit, find a teacher because they are really good at putting, or good teachers are good at making (laughs) expectations explicit and not testing on something beside what you're supposed to test on. Yeah. Like yeah. the test is on the content, not whether or not you um, like filled in the, the bubble correctly. That doesn't work for Scantrons, but you know what I mean? Like teachers, yeah. a good teacher knows, am I testing on the content or am I testing on your ability to do the mechanism? That's another thing, like kind of sidebar, but like we have teachers here that are so anti-multiple choice. And I'm like, why does it matter? Like the testing format, like they get the content. It's easier for me to grade. Like, why are you like making this challenge like so much more difficult for these kids. Like, cause I know teachers are like, I would never give multiple choice questions because it makes it so much easier for them. Isn't that the point? <laughs> right, if the kids show up to the test and they don't have a freaking clue, then you haven't done your job. They should get to the end of the assessment and be like, oh yeah, I got that. Oh, yeah. A little sketchy, yeah. I'll come back to that one. <laughs> they should yeah. already know. I don't get it. It's another mind boggling thing. <laughs> Well, and then I wonder too, it's like, hey, as a teacher, have I decided I'm done learning? Because am I going to use multiple choice and I'm going to look at the error analysis that popped up on B, how many kids chose B instead of A? What misunderstanding is there? Like, 
who cares the format? I don't care about the vehicle. I just need to know you're going to get there and do yeah. something once you're there. Yeah. And again, why did students choose A because of B? Like, oh, 80% of us chose A. So I need to go back over that concept. I dropped the balls. <laughs> right, right. Ooh, haven't we all been there? Like, oh, yeah. yikes. <laughs> oh, we're just going to scrap this one. In. <laughs> right, like, oh, yeah, y'all. I didn't teach this very well. We're going to hit this one again. That was just a whim salt, my bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man, so this is... Oh, go ahead. This is just as, like, soul-filling for me. I, like, took notes. because I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Intimidatory, like, all this. And I ended up just, like, writing at the top of my list, thinking about Title One and about boys being over-identified. And I think so much of it is education has become a scarcity mindset situation. Mm -hmm. We freak out and we try to drill down and we end up squeezing so much out of it. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. We need to yeah. switch to an abundance mindset because we can build up. And yeah. so when we like flip that upside down, that's when we start singling out kids in a negative way. Yeah. And these kids are already fighting battles. We should be asking, what can we do to make this easier for them? Like... <laughs> Right, right. They don't get it. Like no one gets it. Like, like these kids are walking a mile to school with their four brothers and sisters. They didn't get dinner last night, and you're yelling at them. They don't have a pencil. Like, well, yeah. And now, depending on what state you're sitting across, my hands can make some Now, depending on what state you're in, you have to submit your lesson plans a year in advance. Like, how the I'm supposed to show up for your kids. You haven't even met these humans yet. Yeah. But here are my plans. <laughs> I could really go on a tangent for that. But <laughs> I'm sorry, yes. Let me just get that soapbox out of here. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's soapbox. Can I share the project that I'm going to be doing in a couple of weeks? Kendall knows about this because she was a huge promoter. So please do. Yes. My birthday is in roughly two weeks. And most of my kids have never had a birthday party. So I'm giving them my birthday and I did a donor's choose. A lot of my kids want to be like photographers, content creators, like YouTubers, stuff like that. So I did a donor's choose project to get them their own cameras, their own like kits and stuff. And so on my birthday, I'm throwing them a party. So <laughs> That's really cool. Like yeah. that gets me choked up. That yeah, awesome. I know. I know. I'm like crying now. Because <laughs> <laughs> like is your donor's choose still open? Because I'm pretty good to get that. It actually closed in like 48 hours. Like, I had people like donating from all over. And so the box came like last week. Like, so it's been here for like a, a week, 10 days, something like that. And like, they're looking at the box. They're like, open it. And I'm like, nope, not yet. Like, <laughs> I'm struggling not to though. Like, I really okay. want this. <laughs> like, like, get me choked up, man. Wow. These kids are oh, my life. That's so powerful. Yeah. Well, right. And like, these are the people we are setting up to run our world. We are setting these people up to be our community. Yeah. So why would you not pour into them? Yeah. And something as simple as like a birthday, like, I can't tell you how many kids have been like, yeah, like yesterday was my birthday. I'm like, why didn't you say anything? What? And they're like, well, I never do anything on my birthday. I'm like, that's the point. I would have done something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. Sometimes I celebrate a half birthday. I'm not above a quarter birthday. <laughs> I might be doing that. Like, Although a couple of weeks ago, I did have like four birthdays, like back to back. And like, I try to be oh, good. But, like, it's your day. Like, this is all for yeah. you. But that got pretty expensive really quick. <laughs> yeah. Dude, so many grocery stores will totally give stuff to you. When I was on the front range, I had ended up working with a um, city market, which is like yeah. a girl out there. 
and they ended up donating a bunch of like tablecloths and candles and cake mixes and stuff i should reach out thank you for like yeah Yeah. because they want to make it happen and then you know we always sent them a picture so they could yeah thank you hard yeah worth it like once they open the box like i'm legit like wrapping this and like wrapping paper they're like you're overdoing this. It's probably just some like pencil or something. I'm like, nope, wait and see. <laughs> you don't know yet. Exactly. Yeah. So any yeah. store managers listening want to donate to Mr. Williams classroom. He's in Danville, Virginia. Please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And if you're not in Danville, Virginia, <laughs> look for GoFundMe's or donor twos because they make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did. My first year, um, speaking of like walking around the room and stuff, I did a donor's choose because they had like the traditional desk. And again, these kids are like six foot two, like taller than me. And they kept squirming and teachers were having a fit. And I'm like, no, they're like, I'm fit. So I think I got another project done for like some flexible seating and stuff, like bigger seats for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love some donor's choose. (laughs) I do too. And it matters. And it's like, okay, here we go with that scarcity mindset again. Like, all right, this is for the kids. I'm going to let you use it. We're going to take it out of the wrapper. Use the stickers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, use everything, whatever you need. I'm like, whatever you need, communicate it. Like, we will make it happen. Like, if we have to, like, grassroots ask for donations, like, we have to write a grant, like, whatever makes education work for you, please let me know. Hmm. Well, right. And like, I'm a parent. I will never volunteer. It's not a thing I'm going to do. I work in a school. It's very like, I never know what I'm going to deal with. Somebody means something. I'm never going to volunteer. What yeah. I will do is go on my kids' teachers, you know, email you know, under their signature. If they have an Amazon wish list, I can send some pencil grips that you want at 1130 yeah. at night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to volunteer for a class party. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think too, like building the comfort and confidence and the norm of educators asking for what we need is hard, but a next step. I think that like, I deal with like shifting though, because like, I think people are realizing like, okay, teachers do have a hard job. Like, yeah, we've been screaming this for God knows how long, but like, I think it's really starting to become like part of the culture now, which I'm enjoying. (laughs) I hope it stays. (laughs) Yes, like please donate all the things to my classroom. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard job. I'm so excited. Oh yeah. Sorry, Kendall. I know. Um, I'm, I'm just so excited to meet you, Corey. Yeah, you as well. And thank you again for joining us today. Like this is really informative. And thank you, Kendall, for co-hosting it. <laughs> thanks for letting me join in. I just love shop talks. So thanks for letting me be part of it. You You're part- an educator. Yeah. Can you teach people? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Subs matter. And thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Whiskey, Grits, and Honey. Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye.